namo tassa pakavato arhato samasambuddhassa namo tassa pakavato arhato samasambuddhassa namo tassa pakavato arhato samasambuddhassa buddhang dhammang sankhang namasami So our uposa today, we had the Patimoka, when the Chunda chanted Patimoka at four this afternoon. Very good recitation and now the eight precepts for our lay companions. Welcome Delani to the retreat. And just again to, to encourage you for what you're doing, to remember that whatever your mind is throwing up, with its difficult states of mind, to remember that you're involved in something very wholesome. You're allowing the Sangha to uh, practice a lot of solitude, a lot of silence, which is very valuable for us. And uh, you're taking care of the monastery in a very, 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 very uh, more than efficient, in a very uh, loving way, I think. And offering food to the Sangha and, and taking care of our needs. And, and this is a very much to be praised, so please do um, reflect on that for yourself. Not in a kind of, again, not in a conceited way, but in a sense, yeah, this is good, this is wholesome, this work that we're doing together. Because sometimes the critical mind, as Lumpa was saying, the jackal, just can always find fault with how the day went, or how the week went, and how the meditation went, or even what you cooked, or whatever, and that's the insidious nature of the critical faculty gone, gone off, gone rampant, gone, gone sour. And then you're also a very, uh, I think one of the most diligent group of lay practitioners we've had for a winter retreat. You're committed to your own practice, so that's much to be praised. Today we were chanting for Vendam's mum, who Unfortunately, had a fall, broke her wrist. And these, we have a chance in Theravada Buddhism, we have these rituals, take the precepts, uh, chant paritas, a way of uh, expressing emotions which we all feel, but a, a kind of ritualized way of doing that, which I, I find very special. But during the chanting, I must admit that I had some aversion coming up. And uh, and, and on this retreat, it seems that we're hovering around a lot, the third noble truth, circling around that a lot, about the cessation of suffering, the abandonment of craving, the end of self, the gap. We've been talking a lot about that, and on Sumedho's readings and so on. And so, like, during this uh, chanting, one of the... Uh, obviously, I have a lovely sense of the chanting. I like it. I've been doing it a long time, and... and uh, uh, just to think of someone's uh, fellow monk's mom, to wish her well. It's all very wholesome. But then as the chanting started, I found that, as usual, my voice nowadays started to crack up, which I don't like. I don't like that. I'd rather have a lovely tenor voice that is very harmonious and, and mellow and has beautiful tones in it. In other words, I wish my voice was 45 years younger. But, so it cracks up, and so I feel somewhat annoyed at that. And then the pace of the chant is, is something uh, faster than I'm used to. So I could see 
that my mind is also annoyed with that. And our practice is is 24-7, isn't it? It's not just cross your legs, sit on a zafa for an hour, and the rest of the day is somehow lost cause. The real practice is like hours and hours and hours of sitting cross-legged. But rather, if it's 24-7, one has to include the chanting. So just to, to, to be aware that I'm aware of annoyance at my own voice, annoyance at the pace, and so there's desire. There's the desire to have a different voice and a different pace. Physically, mechanically, the voice isn't going to, it seems to be uh, behaving itself. So I don't have much choice there during the chanting. I can go to the doctor later and get a throat operation and so on. I don't think I'll do it. So mechanically, that's the way it is. That's the way the voice is. That's the way an aging voice box seems to be. And then socially, I've asked someone else to lead the chanting. So that's the way it is too. And I can talk about it later and so on. But in that moment, that's the way it is. This is the nature of the social situation of the mechanical voice box or whatever. And then there's desire. Desire to have it another way. Desire to have a different experience. And there's the resistance to it. And so just to know that is what, what we mean by awareness, don't we? Reflecting on the way things are. And so I could watch. I could watch the annoyance to the voice of Watch that a lot now, and just, well, do it the best you can. And then the speed of the chanting, well, just see if you can stay up with it. And so the desire fell away, and then I uh, had a good go at it. Right? And, and, and that's kind of typical of thing of a, a practice that we're always doing, watching the cessation of, of desire. And, and, and then the result is, of course, that there's no residue. There isn't a kind of residue of, having done it wrong or, or um, being annoyed at someone because it's known right in the moment, right as the annoyance arises, as the desire arises, right in the moment it's known as a kanda, uh, as a manifestation and, and, and not believing in it, not attaching to it, letting go. So this is something that's 24-7 in, and, and desire and aversion and love and hate and fear and disappointment and worry and depression, they're happening 24-7 always there. So the sitting practice enhances enhances awareness, but it doesn't negate all our karma. And and karma is 24-7. Our intentions are 24-7, and karma is synonymous with intention. So if I'm making intentions throughout the day, which are distracted or or caught up in negativity or whatever, then that still, I still got to pay the price, don't I? So no excusing it. So there's a kind of imperative to really be diligent all the time, all the time. Sitting practice is great, and, and, and uh, walking that format is just a good, very good way to, to cultivate a deeper awareness. But it's not just about tranquility, is it? It's not just about damping everything down so that you don't have any kind of emotional response, reaction to life, response to life, because that's not life. Life is, life is just different kind of program. So whatever whatever you get on a retreat, that's your that's your kind of curriculum for the retreat. That's what you have to learn from. And that's what we'll be talking about. And so in, in our on our recommendations on mindfulness practice, we're you know, recommended to, to be aware of the body. So just 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 to have the like in your sitting to actually be aware of the body is feeling to allow body beat to be feeling, 
to allow it to manifest this feeling, to allow it to become conscious this feeling. And, and to, do, to do this, you, you have to sort of get out of your head. Quite often when we're doing body awareness, whether it's breath or sweeping, whatever, we're kind of looking at things from our eyeballs. We're kind of stuck in our head, focusing on and so on. And that's a very, very strong sense of me doing something, me focusing in that. Uh, and you can, you, can get, you can get kind of calm from that. You can be like stuck and, and just look at things. But to actually uh, witness the body from uh, allowing to become feeling means you have to include the head in your awareness of the body. Include your eyes in the awareness of the body. How do you do that? Well, you, you, you begin to you begin like this with your face and just let your... Let your eyes become feeling, let your nose become feeling, let your ears become feeling, let your mouth become feeling. So it becomes conscious in awareness, and then you, you, you feel the whole body, you feel your chest, you, you feel your legs, you feel the abdominal area, and your hands, and so on. And that all becomes feeling. And so the body begins to sense a kind of, like, uh, it's more like an energy system, rather than me with my knee, and me with my back, and me looking at this, this kind of, very dualistic way of looking at body as body. This takes, it's interesting, it's very interesting. If, if, if one is just trying to control things by looking at the body, you do it for a while. But I think kind of long retreat, what happens is things start to emerge, things start to bubble, and you can't really just control things through focusing on something, it just doesn't work. You get, you get exhausted or you get bored or you get frustrated. So, letting the body become conscious as feeling is not controlling, but it is present. And 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 to to combine to kind of constantly do that as uh, as as you practice sets you up in a relationship where where the body is an energy energy system in awareness, rather me and looking at my body, having this body, have a problem with the body, the whole thing becomes an an energy system, and that, that strong duality of me and my body begins to fall away, and it's just bodily feeling in, in awareness. The sense of self falls away. And, and, and that reading that Lompol offered us this morning, thank you, uh, very much that, that, seeing the cessation of self, cessation of me, cessation of, of uh, thought, and that, to kind of come to that place of emptiness, and how, how do you do that? Well, one of the ways is to allow allow body to be feeling. Just to allow it to arise, allow something to become conscious. Rather than you trying to focus on your body so that you don't think. Or you trying to focus on the breath in order to attain to something. Which is a very common block, hindrance that we, that we face in meditation. It's a me doing a thing, being the doer to become something. Whereas when, when, when the body is allowed to become, manifest in consciousness, the, uh, the, the whole attitude is receptive. And it's about non-desire, non-self. It's not like me trying to see something. It's just allowing nature to present itself as it is, the body as it is. And you begin to notice the body as energy system rather than a lump of meat sitting on chair or something like that. Heavy thing, but you, said you can just feel the, the energy system, and then in that energy system, you feel you feel like tightness of, of energy, heat of energy, 
and and you begin to be more like it's almost you're behind your back rather than you're kind of in your head, in your eyeballs looking at something. So I would really recommend if you, not if you should be actually being being aware of the body. That's part of the foundations of mindfulness, kindness, mindfulness of the body, and 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 to actually become very good at that, become very adept at letting body be feeling. Because if you if you do it um, in a sustained way, then that's always the way you're going to relate to the body. When it becomes painful, or when it becomes ecstatic, or whatever, when it feels various kinds of desires, or fears, or you know, all the emotion around that we feel through the body as well as the mind, begin to relate to it as an energy. And it's very interesting when you when you just touch that energy as a direct perception rather than a mediator, like I said last time, me having a problem. When you really just allow the the body to, to do what it does, then there's a kind of uh, a magic about it where it's no longer you trying to control things. And, 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 and then things like, like fears and angers and so on, they manifest through the body. They manifest, you feel them through the body, but now you're witnessing this energy and they run their course. They're in their course. And you, and you find yourself standing in happiness. Standing in peace and standing in emptiness because you've allowed something to, an energy system to come through you and you haven't blocked it all out with, with desire and aversion and criticism and judgment. All of that, that all that kind of judging and self-criticism, it just blocks things out. You get kind of constipated. But to allow the energy system to run its course is, is sometimes doesn't seem like it's working. And people... I was talking to someone a few weeks ago where they were, you could see they were constantly reacting to their inner world. Constantly, like they'd find themselves, some old emotional issue would come up, and they'd find themselves just arguing with themselves about it, and they'd go, oh, there I am again, I've lost the thought again. And then they'd, then they'd do a practice. they do a practice so that they weren't thinking, so that they weren't feeling the emotion, so then they'd, they take the um, metta bhavana or asuba bhavana or whatever, and then try to sort of get rid of it or 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 do something about it with with a kind of willful effort to do this meditation practice. And then that meditation practice was novel, is interesting for a while. They held it for twenty minutes, and then again the whole mindset would come up, and they kind of oh, there I'm, I'm lost again, and all the time just a kind of reactivity, all the time like habit. Uh, attachment to habit, uh, thought, self-view, bang, noticing that, another self-view, reactivity, now I'm going to do a practice. No mindfulness. Just a sense of battle and struggle. Sincerity, diligence, um, honesty, you know, very, very good factors, but no no real awakening to this as sankara. No real knowing this is just sankara. So, if one begins to attend to the foundations of mindfulness in, in a way which are which are allowing nature to come in into consciousness as it is, then that's mindfulness. So we we try to attend to bodily as feeling. And and that that, that, that requires a kind of receptive attitude rather than the attitudes of desire. And so the third noble truth always comes into play like, like when you like 
that person I was talking to, I suggested, well, and I do this all the time, um, but just notice, rather than reacting and having to do a practice when you've noticed that you're getting angry about something, why don't you just begin to actually uh, wait and observe anger itself? And, and then the person, and then what? The person asked me, and then what? Nothing, just wait, watch, observe. So the second foundation and third foundation are very much combined because this is the second foundation of mindfulness is Vedana. Vedana is the attraction or repulsion to our sense experience. And then Jitta is the mood of the mind, the type of mindset that's there. And these, this is the way the Buddha asked us to look at our whole human experience through body-mind and the liking and disliking, the push and pull of it. And the Four Noble Truths is based on that kind of observation. So that's the fourth foundation of mindfulness. Why do you suffer? What's the end of suffering? So the, the, the mood of the mind then is, is something that is much more, oftentimes much more subtle, but you can, you can like, let's say, if you find yourself obsessing with thought, or just like all of us, just find yourself thinking about something, then you, when you notice you're thinking about it, and stop and say, well, what's the mood now? And there'll be nothing. There'll be, you know, be oh, there's no move. We have to find something and let it, let it become conscious. If there's nothing, you'll be peaceful. And you just stop the jabbering by just noticing. But usually there is something, and that has a mood, it has a tone to it. And, and that's more subtle. And then you think, well, I have to do it. You don't have to do anything about it, you have to be mindful. So just like the body, you let the, let the body become conscious, let it be feeling, let the mood become conscious. And that's, that's more, more subtle. Because you want to find something called a mood and, and identify it or whatever, but you don't. You don't have to do anything. So just establish mindfulness, and uh, so that takes some getting used to, I suppose. But how could you do it otherwise? The mind has moods, and we know it has moods. You wake up in the morning, you feel great. I'm going to practice. You wake in the morning, and think, ah, I just want to sleep more. You wake up, um, you find yourself feeling really loving towards everyone. You find yourself really critical of everyone. You find yourself really doubting a lot. You find yourself feeling really confident. It's always changing, right? Always changing. Well, now what we're trying to do is we're trying to get behind the thinking to the very mood, the very mood of the mind, the letting go of thought. When you let go of thought, how do you let go of thought? Stop thinking and just notice the mood. You don't do a practice. I'm going to do the practice of no thought. You just notice the end of thought. It's not like something you become. You just notice end of thought, and then go to the mood. So if you find if you find the mind just blah 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 thinking thinking thinking, and then at some point you're going to notice your thinking. Right? That's the awakening. Now take that and and let it be conscious that you're awake now, rather than the reactive tendency to say, ah, oh, you know, there I go again. I'm thinking again. I need a practice. That's just more self-view. Me needing a practice to do something to get rid of this, to have some kind of a result. Doubt. Give me some kind of idea, some kind of um, conclusion that I can come to, uh, and so on. So, so you, you, you begin to just take that moment of awakening when you notice thinking, that's when you're awake, you're here, you know. And actually enter into that, actually, okay, mood, what is, what is the mood now? Where is it? What's it like? And stop. Leave it alone. Wait. See what happens. Keep doing that. Keep doing that. And one of the interesting ways to do that is to actually look at the very sense of a doer. That's a very interesting one. The very sense of a, an angry person or the very sense of a fearful person. 
Because attachment is that sense of I that comes from all these different moods that we have, and then the thinking which which proliferates on that. Especially, you can actually like know the sense of a doer as an object. And that's that's actually much more interesting. So rather than being the person who has a problem, you look at the very the very sense of being angry at someone. Who is the angry person? And you don't do this with thought because thought will just get you more. Oh, I'm not an angry person. You're more just angry than you just think more. It's not about thought. It's like noticing the very sense of a person as an object. The very sense of a doer as an object. The very sense of a fearful person who's anxious about something. You really observe that. That's the personhood. And let that come into consciousness. And you keep finding it's empty. You just notice What's it? there's nothing there. You can't find anything. And then you, you, you notice the, 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 the mood more in the background. You can really attentive to the mood and you let it be conscious. Let it be conscious. And when you when you when you especially again on a long, long retreat sometimes you can get some interesting garbage coming up. <laughs> or uninteresting garbage or whatever it is. But these are very important because they're quite often just like very kind of ingrained patterns of self of, of, you know, in Pali we have this ahankara mimankara, I making, my making. It's a great, great kind of double word, ahankara mimankara, me making, mine making, I making. And it's like making pies. You know, you get anger and you get anger pie, and you're just making anger, 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 me, 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 and that person, you know, or, or fear, or worry, or, or resentment, and all of that. It's this constant, this, this manufacture of a sense of self through habit, through thought. And so what Lumpur is saying in that talk, he says, look at, like, take that and say it once, and that's the end of a thought. I hate you. I hate you. Before the thought, after the thought. But actually, then, then like, notice the, 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 the very sense of the mood. Go to the mood. Be aware of the mood. Let the mood, what is this now? Rather than think you have to solve it, get rid of it, oh, you're there again, all of that. But what is that feeling? I've had it so often. What is it? What is it really like to feel ticked off at someone or bored or whatever? What's it really like? That's strong mindfulness. Let it become conscious. And whenever you know, it's not like you have to do anything about it. It's just like you you're you're establishing awareness on the mood of the mind, and that you link that to the body and to feeling. So if there's feeling of dukkha, then you don't want it. If there's feeling of sukha, you want it. So there's constant wanting, not wanting, going on. And you get to get you get to, you see all those as as like as a piece because mind body are not they're not two different experiences they're part of one whole experience called the present moment and you just get very very uh, adept at seeing the whole package come up uh, bodily body is feeling and then feeling uh, fear as feeling you can you see it, it's just one thing really and it's quite marvelous when you just let it be. That contracted energy of whatever it is comes up and endures for a while, but now your your home is awareness of change. That's your real home, and you no longer um, you, you're more interested in the end of thought rather than thinking about it and analyzing it and so on. You're more interested in the very experience itself, and it stays for a while, and then it and it disappears. And you begin to practice long periods of non-desire. That's where you get really uh, peaceful. Long periods of non-desire. And non-desire doesn't mean that you're, you're, you're experiencing happiness all the time. When I'm, when I'm chanting and my voice is croaking up and I want it 
I want it to be other other than it is. I want it to be slower. Uh, what am I practicing? I'm not practicing um, like some, I'm not getting pleasure at this. I'm just noticing what's non-desire within the chanting. Non-desire as well. Fast chanting, rotten voice. Fine. Non-desire, non-desire, non-desire. You keep doing non-desire. That's where your heart's happy. Not because you got what you wanted. Because now you know the source of happiness is non-desire, the end of desire, the death of desire, cessation of desire, third noble truth, nirodha. I have to do that. Do that, non, do non-desire. And how do you do that? Well, you make, you let this moment be fully manifest. So you, you, you train with like the body. You sit and just let, let, the, let, let the body become feeling. If you want anything from the body, then the body won't be, there'll always be a me doing or something. So you have problems of sleepiness or whatever. But you still got to do it. So to do non-desire and you conk out. So you have to learn, learn how to use the body to energize it, all this energy and so on. But to, to actually like know, know, the, know your eye, like when you're meditating, really be very attentive to your eyes. Be attentive to your temples. Be attentive to the, the kind of brain trying to see something. Be attentive to your jaw, right? Let that become feeling. Let that be an object in awareness rather than you being the, the person kind of behind your eyeballs trying to get enlightened or notice your breath or do whatever you're doing. So the whole body, is a, it's a kind of holistic, the body, like the whole energy body. You see the energy, feel the energy body. And then keep keep seeing that that, that that reflects very well with whatever mood you have. So as you become more, more and more proficient in knowing body is body, you also just see the arising of tension and aversion and fear. You see that through the heart chakra, through the belly, through the throat, through the shoulders, whatever way it is. And you let it be that way. You let it, you just let it, let it become fully manifest. You know, just let the body be feeling. Don't, you don't even have to, try, you don't have to try to fix it. You don't even have to try to relax. You just let, let, let this energy manifest and, and the contraction goes away from you. Fearful contraction or whatever it is. Now if one is trying to do this through thought, then that's always going to be the limit. Just always trying to think about it. It's not something you think about. It's something you do. And so to actually to, to see, go back to that sense of, of me being someone doing something, needing a practice, I need to do a practice. What kind of practice can I do? I think that's a very common sense of ego that comes in there, I think. You know, it's like, what do I have to do? So, sure, practices are good. Metta's great, Supa's great, Anapanasati, they're all fine. But they're quite often invested with me doing something now to get a result later. Time, desire, and so on. Where we're trying to find the end of desire constantly, and practice that by using the breath or whatever we want. So what you find is you, you, you kind of, you, 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 kind of you have to really look at, your, at what you're doing in your meditation. Is it to become something? Or can you touch non-desire constantly and train in non-desire, non-desire, non-desire constantly? Because if you do, if you could train in non-desire, moment by moment, then that, that will bring peace of mind, that will bring silence or, or stillness or happiness or whatever, because that's the noble truth, that the cessation of suffering is the abandonment of desire. But if you pick up your practice and, and 
some technique that you want to do, and then there's the desire to get something, you're almost frustrated. So you might have to actually go through something like, like now, like let's say I endured something which was arising to be unpleasant, right? Its manifestation was unpleasant through my history and through what, what I like, but by noticing the unpleasantness and not going to the desire, not going to the desire, non-desire, non-desire, keep focusing on that, at the end of it I felt quite peaceful and happy. If I had not noticed that, and just try to make my voice better or resent it. It's, it's a trivial example, but at the end of it, I would have felt just uh, jangled and frustrated. Right? It's a trivial example. It's not, it's not difficult. So non-desire must be understood. It must be, you know, desire has to be abandoned. Non-desire has to be realized. And that, that, there's something about that where, where you're, you're, you're kind of caught up in your thoughts and, you know, you're, regretting something you said or, or doubting yourself or um, whatever it is and you're just caught up. And there's a moment where you, you awaken to that. And that's a moment of non-desire. That's a moment of non-self. That's a moment of awakening. And to realize that that's the case. So talking about my friend, doesn't re- that it had, I think I sees it now, had difficulty in seeing that, that that moment when this person notices that they're rabbiting on about something, is the moment actually the awakening of the mind. But wouldn't take that moment, wouldn't realize that moment, and would go to the next moment with desire and do a practice, and an endless, just kind of like endless, endless, not really, not really stopping. So then the person started to actually um, just try to take that instruction. So what's the desire feel? What what does what's the mood of the mind before you try to get rid of it and do a practice? And they got, began to just notice it as a mood. No? Yeah, it's in the heart. It's in the body. And that's mindfulness. Finally, there you go. Okay. And then they try to do a practice again. <laughs> but but this awakening, this awakening is, is not tomorrow, is it? It's always here and now. Not here and now. So the the thinking mind seems to go on and on and on. That seems to be. The addiction we have, but to to notice that it's not always there, and to notice the, the 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 moments of silence when when you're outside and you just feel the cold, or when when the bell rings, even if you've been thinking all the time, the bell rings at the end of the sitting, and oh no, I'm here now. Take that, take that as a very very valuable, and and say, oh, this is this is the moment. So the cessation of of desire has to be. Realize that the cessation of suffering has to be realized. You have to notice that. And I, like I, I've been saying, you just do it with sound. Just listen. Just listen. With no no intent. Just let 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 sound be the way it is. No desire. Silence. Very simple. And then and then expand that. Two moments. Three moments. No desire. No desire. And when, when, when there's pain, then see what's the difference between pain and the desire to not have pain. There's a difference, isn't there? Pain is pain. Discomfort is discomfort. Emotional pain is very uncomfortable. It's very unpleasant. And so we don't want that. But emotional pain, what is it really like to feel some uh, sense of loneliness or some sense of self-doubt or some sense of 
incompetence or hopelessness or despair. What is it really, really like to feel despair? Not to think despairing thoughts, because that's not knowing despair. That's just thinking despairing. But what's it really like to feel like despair, like the future looks grim or something like that? Or um, feelings of insecurity, these things, these kind of things that haunt our minds. And they haunt our minds because we don't allow them to really be fully conscious. So maybe to get to like the non-desire, like I was saying the other day, I had these, much of the day kept coming up with these feelings of, of insecurity, like kind of insecurity feelings, you remember it. And again, no real reason for it. No, you know, logically it was ridiculous, but there it was. So what is non-desire there? Is non-desire me doing a practice of feeling secure? You know, now I'll just think secure thoughts. Right? Everything will be all right. Don't worry, Bhante. No. It's like, wow, insecurity. Wow, this is an interesting one. What's it really like to feel insecure? To actually allow that to become conscious. But not to go into thoughts of insecurity, because that's indulgence, that's attachment, that's thought, that's I, me, mine. But before the me and mine, before the thought, before the analysis, before I'm thinking about what is it like to feel insecure? What is it really like to make it important to look at it and then be with it? And that's unpleasant, but it's non-desire, non-desire. And then, and then allowing that, like the body, to feel it, to let it come up into conscious, feeling it as an energy, and to be just the way it is. Don't have to touch it. Don't have to analyze it. Don't don't have to see a psychologist about this one. I don't need therapy. Don't have to figure out my last life or whatever. <laughs> but just, just as it is, just as it is. And, and then what happens? What happens? You kind of oh, non-desire, non-desire, all day non-desire, but much of the day unpleasant, unpleasant, unpleasant. But with it, non-desire, non-desire, and at the end of it, the peace and, and a confidence and a happiness. Why? Because of non-desire, non-attachment, non-grasping. And that, that kind of takes, sometimes it takes some doing, you kind of, it's a nice theory, but the habit, maybe, of, of feeling insecure is to think insecure thoughts, and then to worry, and to keep going, doing that duality, worry, solution, insecurity, goes on and on and on. So if, if one's practice is to get, like, beautiful, stable emotions, and, and, and nice, nice, sweet, silent states of mind and so on, if that's what practice to get there, then what do you do with the other? You, you reject it and you fight. But if the practice is non-desire, that's different. That's different than the type of mindset, the type of body set. It's about a kind of underlying attitude to it, non-desire. And if you trust in that awareness of, of desire and letting go of it, if you just trust in that, then as the desire ceases, you begin to realize the kind of peace of the mind, the silence of the mind, the sound of silence, the just the, the, the beauty of non-grasping, which it takes does take some trust. It does you know, it takes trust just to be with something difficult, unpleasant, uh, challenging, emotionally challenging. On a long retreat, you can do that. You can you can explore hell. <laughs> 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 I hope it's not that bad, but but sometimes, and that's that's I think that's a kind of maturity of the practice where 
a beginner meditator kind of thinks, oh, I'll just have a nice retreat and my mind will be peaceful and so on. And then, whoo, something comes out. But then, that, what, what I think the more mature contemplative says, whatever, whatever, I'm going to really allow it to be just as it is and not, not add to it with self-view and see it before, before I make a problem out of it. And that's, I think, that's very rewarding because that really, then the whole desire pattern begins to die away around the way things are. All right, I'll leave that for your reflection. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu.